Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to bring your parish from maintenance to mission. My name is Mike Tanner. I'm the Director of Communications at Divine Renovation, and I'm excited to bring to you today the first of five wonderful conversations between Divine Renovation founder, Father James Mallon, and our Director of Global Strategy, Fiona O'Reilly. The two of them sat down to discuss the Vatican's recent document on the evangelizing mission of the church, and we wanted to share this conversation with you because it's so impactful on the mission that we are pursuing both at Divine Renovation and the mission that we see parishes all over the world engaging with. We hope that you enjoy, and we'll see you again next week. Welcome. My name is Fiona O'Reilly, and I'm the Director of Global Strategy for Divine Renovation Ministry. We're a ministry that's focused on inspiring and equipping Catholic parishes to help them become missional. And recently, the Vatican Congregation for Clergy brought out a pastoral instruction for parishes, which looks at the whole area of pastoral conversion and calls parishes into that conversion for the sake of mission, for the sake of evangelization. We wanted to take some time just to explore all that the document offers, to unpack some of the vision it sets out, to understand some of the guardrails that it sketches out in canon law that we can work within, to look at some of the areas where it's silent, and to think about how do we apply this and share some of what we've learned, some of the wins, some of the struggles from our experience in the last four years of helping parishes move from maintenance to mission. For this conversation, I'm going to be joined by Father James Mallon. Welcome, Father James. It's great to be with you, Fiona. Now, for our viewers who don't know you, it's probably worth my just sketching out a little bit of your background. So you were parish priest originally of St. Benedict Parish here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And you started a whole journey with that parish of moving from maintenance to mission. You know, how could we have a parish focused on the primacy of evangelization and living out it's call to share the good news and the power of the Holy Spirit and serve with the best of leadership principles, all grounded in the Eucharist. I know that through that, uh, we, we discovered so much about mm. how to get it wrong and how to get it right. right. And we put those insights into the first Divine Renovation book. And after that, you have then spent the last three years working uh, in the Diocese of Halifax, Yarmouth. Just say a little bit more about what you've been doing in the last three years and what you're going on to next. <laughs> it, it's, well, what I've been working on at the diocesan level and in many ways within Divine Renovation, because I've been 50-50 with my time, is basically the stuff this document is about. That's what makes me so excited about it. And it's so relevant uh, for our particular situation as dioceses all over the world uh, grapple with this call to missionary renewal and also what it means in terms of dealing with uh, an outdated structure. And so this, these guidelines are, are it's very, very well timed today, at least for our context and for many other dioceses throughout the world. Great. And I understand that as well as retaining your role on the priest council, you're now back in parish ministry. That's right. I am now a pastor of Our Lady of Guadalupe Parish, and I'd felt that stirring really for the last year, a sense of, of how the COVID-19 pandemic has really changed the game. And I found myself thinking, have I, have I become just a, a, a theoretician with opinions? And because the situation has changed a lot, and I just felt called to get off the bench and to get back onto the field again, because 
this is an evolving reality and there's all kinds of new learnings to be had there. And one of our values at Divine Renovation Ministries from the trenches that we, we believe in learning on the ground in, in, in real time. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be back in pastoral ministry, still involved in Divine Renovation, of course, and serving in, a, in an advisory capacity at the diocesan level. Great, thank you. And it, it's so helpful as we, we explore the contents of this document to be able to have both sides of the coin, that diocesan perspective, which many of the ordinaries and, and diocesan or chancery staff will be looking at this document will have, and also the perspective of pastors and their teams as they as they look at this document. And I, I don't want to assume that everyone who's who's watching us will have already had a chance to read the document. So maybe let's just start off by by unpacking, you know, what type of document is this that we've received? Yeah, it, it's a bit of a hybrid document or because it, 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 it's got two very distinct parts. Anyone who reads it will very quickly realize that the first um, six sections are, are very visionary. They're, they're drawing on a rich tradition from Lumen Gentium through Evangelii Nunciandi of, of Pope Paul VI and especially Evangelii Gaudium of, of Pope Francis. And there's also this document is... You know, when people say the Vatican released or the Vatican said, and often in media, that could mean anything. It could mean like the, you know, the Vatican cat said something or, you know, the, the Pope made an ex cathedra uh, pronouncement, which he hasn't for a very, very long time. So what does this mean, the Vatican? Because the Vatican is a complex organization, an organism. This is from the Congregation of Clergy, uh, which is a particular office within the Vatican that, that deals with the rights and responsibilities, obligations and duties of, of, of the clergy, so bishops, priests and, and deacons, but also is very much in recent years dealing with um, the realities on the ground in dioceses, mostly in North America, Western Europe, where, where the reality of restructuring and even the, the painful question of closing church buildings is dealt with. So if there, if there are any kerfuffles at the diocesan level on those issues, it goes to the, the guys who wrote this document. So they've got a fairly good sense of what's happening. And the, the undersecretary for the congregation Monsignor Andrea Ripa, under, the undersecretary in these con congregations is, is usually the person who does a lot of the work. You know, the, the, the head of the congregation is, is, a, is a sometimes kind of like a figurehead, and then the secretary uh, does a lot of the big picture stuff. But the undersecretary really is like the real driver of the thing. And he gave this, this fantastic uh, reflection on the document where he basically said that this is... Uh, this is a theological, pastoral, and canonical resource right there. He sums it up. It's a, there's a great theological section up front that draws from all of these past documents, including past documents from the Congregation of the Clergy that were released during the pontificate of, of John Paul II and Pope Benedict in uh, 1997 and uh, 2002, I believe, which would therefore be both under Pope, mm -hmm. uh, Pope, Pope John Paul II. Um, and, and it has to do with the, the concept of, or the question of, of parish renewal and the, specifically the ministry of the priest. So you can, anyone who wants to check out those documents, you can go to the Vatican website and, and, and put that in. So a theological, pastoral, and canonical resource, great theological session dealing with pastoral questions. And then the second part, uh, getting into fairly specific canonical issues, which are very important. We're going to talk about that a bit later. But it does have a, create within the document a sense of two very distinct parts. 
Yeah, and I was I was really struck how the the document itself both contains a strong and urgent call for parishes to put evangelization at the core of what they do, and then beautifully situates the canon law as, if you like, the guardrails or the kind of lines on the pitch that we can work within. And, and of course, as with anything, kind of having those parameters helps us operate much more effectively. So it was just so interesting to see the Congregation for Clergy really setting out both sides of the story, the, the kind of vision, the possibilities, and then also some of the, the things to think about, the riverbed of the river, if you will, that yeah. the canon law well, you've, gives you've, us. you've used a metaphor. You said the, the, the lines on the pitch. Now, you're you're from Ireland. <laughs> well, I'm from true. Scotland. And <laughs> a pitch for us means a soccer okay. field. This is and, true. But think about it. To play soccer, you need to have lines. I mean, when I was a kid, we played a lot of soccer on parks and parking lots and no, no lines, lines, no goalposts. And <laughs> it took some creative imagination to really be free to, to, to play the game. Whenever we played on a pitch with lines and markings, it created it. It enabled us to play yeah. in a much more, more, more full way than, than, than before. So lines are necessary, but you don't play soccer by simply running around the lines. Yeah. So they're, they're a necessary starting point and the document presents both. It gives this, this, these lines, but it also gives the end game. It speaks beautifully and powerfully about the missionary calling of parishes. We're going to talk about that in a later video. We're going to try to restrain <laughs> ourselves at, the, at this point. But I think, you know, in initial reading, some people might say, well, this, this feels very schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. You know, this is obviously written by two different people. It's like, yeah. <laughs> or at least two different teams of people, but but both are both are necessary. Mm -hmm. They're presenting beautifully this this the end game. What's the end game? What is it we're aiming for? What what are the basic lines around around the starting point? Because one of the other challenges in a document like this is you're you're dealing with a document that's going out to the global Catholic Church in in multiple contexts with very different issues and you can do a bit of a, you know, an exegesis on this document and say, what was the intention of the authors? You know, what, what were they trying, what was the real life situation they were speaking into? And perhaps in, in some, uh, I think for all churches, this need to re be reminded of our, of the missionary calling, our missionary identity, the primacy of evangelization, how, as the Evangelii Gaudium says, all of these uh, structures are to serve the missionary option. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that's sometimes a struggle to achieve. And I think that's universal throughout the church. But then in some places, you know, these, these guidelines, these canonical guidelines, because perhaps as we step into unfamiliar territory, we're always kind of innovating a little bit. And when you do that, there's always risk. And you might overstep one of those lines. And there's a, a need perhaps to be reminded of, of what is, uh, what's negotiable and what's non-negotiable. Mm -hmm. And there might, I think there are particular churches and particular parts in the world where maybe that's more of an issue than in, than in others. Thank you. And I know one of the, the other things I was struck by when I read the document, you know, that there's so much in there about the, the role of the parish. Uh, but of course that, you know, that, that can mean so many things to different people. So, you know, just say a little bit more about, you know, the, the term parish and how does the, the, this document suggest that we, we think about a parish? It's one of those perennial problems. You use a word which has multiple meanings for different people mm -hmm. and we talk past one another. We certainly discovered that in our own journey in restructuring it here at the Archdiocese of Halifax, Yarmouth. And we had to constantly remind people that, you know, that the word parish will mean different things for different people. And typically we think parish, we think of that 
building on the corner. It's, it's a parish equals one building with one area and one parish priest. And that's my parish and everything that's about that. And yet, uh, canon law itself defines a parish as a portion of the people of God. And so a parish is primarily not a building. It's a, it's a community of people, a community, in fact, that, that may be even a community of communities because every parish uh, in different ways is, is you know, <laughs> if you think about a typical parish that has three, four masses, weekend masses, I mean, these are often three or four very distinct worshiping communities. 80% of the people who go to one mass never venture into another mass time. So parishes are different, are communities of commun communities in different ways. But today as we grapple with the changing realities and, you know, and inheriting a, an infrastructure from the past that, that is many ways not serving us anymore, you can have a parish that is multiple buildings, multiple locations, even in multiple places. And so as Evangelii Gaudium reminded us, the parish has great flexibility. And ultimately a parish uh, in what we're dealing with here is really about uh, a portion of the people of God that, that may have multiple buildings, places, but uh, led by one pastor who may have uh, other priests and, and lay ministers serving with him. Mm -hmm in communion with the bishop, of course. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, I love the way that the, you know, the document in, in section 123, it really talks about parishes being on a, a voyage of discovery or rediscovery about their identity. And I think this, this document is aiming to serve that. And it, it speaks really compellingly about the parish as a fundamental place of evangelical proclamation. It talks about uh, it being the place where the Eucharist is celebrated and it is a place of fraternity, that, that recovery of the idea of fellowship, of community, not just structures and buildings as being core to, to a parish's identity. And it's the place you know, of charity from which Christian witness shines forth. So this is never about a parish serving itself with an inward posture. There's always a shining forth. There's always a proclamation of the gospel. There's always a, a fellowship that invites in and goes out to encounter all at the service of making Christ known, loved and served. And so I, I love that invitation to rediscovery that this, this mm. document offers as, mm. as well. Um, the other thing that uh, I know when we were talking just, just before we started filming, you know, we were both so struck by God's timing on mm. this document. Say a bit more about, about that. Yeah, I, I, we in this interview that Monsignor Ripa did uh, reflecting on, on the document, they said they've been working on this for a number of years. And they've been working on it because questions have been raised. I mean, the, the struggling with the, what it means for missionary and pastoral conversion and what that means for our structures. And, and, and there's been a lot of paperwork piling up at this congregation. We should pray for these guys because I'm sure they're, 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 decks are piled with paper. I've seen some of the paperwork that's gone there just from my own diocese alone, and I can't imagine. Um, so as these questions arise, they needed to respond to them. And yet the very kind of shift in culture and decline that's been happening for years now has really been accelerated recently through the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm -hmm. And 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 much more quickly, the, these, these questions are going to have to be grappled with. So the timing in this sense is really, really great. Also for us as a ministry, I have to say, as a, as a divine renovation ministry, and uh, we just released a, 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 another book um, uh, that I wrote uh, and called Divine Renovation Beyond the Parish, which 
deals exactly with the question, with the fact that you can't separate the question of parish renewal from diocesan renewal. We're, we're Catholics. The, the local church is not the parish. The local church is the diocese. And so the kind of, if we want to see long-term fruitfulness, the diocese has to be involved in this. So well, a couple of things also that I, that I liked about what Monsignor Ripa said in this interview is that he made the point that this is, this is about maintaining unity in the church in a, in a diversity of contexts, which means it's not about uniformity. That was a yeah. brilliant point. He said, mm. you know, there's a, there is, even in the canonical section, a great sense of freedom in this, that, that, that we're not imposing uniformity, we're giving basic guidelines. And there was a very telling section in, in his interview where he said, he basically pointed to two extremes, and this is echoed in the document itself, which we'll get to, is in terms of, of collaboration. And the one extreme, he says, you've got uh, priests who basically make all the decisions themselves and just tell people what to do and reduce the, the lay faithful to executors of the will mm -hmm. of the priest. That's an extreme. It's like, wow, they're actually naming that as an extreme. The other extreme is basically where a, a parish in which the, the pastor uh, say on a pastoral council, or is just an, one other member. It, it's it's like leadership by committee, uh, which is uh, which we always say at Divine Renovation Committee is, is deadly to like avoid that. And so they're saying that's another extreme is is the the blurring of the uniqueness of the role of the pastor. And I, I think those are very two very real extremes that are out there. And they're saying that we really should be aiming for somewhere in the middle. And that in many ways really. If you wanted a key purpose for this document, what it's about, it's about that. It's about, you know, there's there's a place for everyone. There's a role for everyone. Uh, everyone is called to participate in this great mission of, of, of parish renewal. But there are distinctive roles, roles distinct uh, uh, to the baptized and to the ordained. Thank you. And let's have a look at some of those other sections. We're, we're going to go through a couple of different uh, segments of this conversation, exploring the, the kind of first six sections and the vision, exploring the second half and some of the possibilities and some of the, the guardrails that canon law gives us, uh, unpacking some of the areas where the document is silent or are there, there are some tensions. And then lastly, really just looking at, you know, what, what do we know in Divine Renovation, having spent the last four years journeying with parishes around the world who are trying to make this, this shift to putting evangelization and mission first? And so what are some of the, the reflections that might help as pastors, as bishops seek to take this instruction and really put it into action?